Hello and welcome to the Irish Fire Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Halton. I'm an entrepreneur, investor, and financial independence enthusiast, sharing my financial freedom journey. Stay tuned and welcome aboard. I hope you're having a good week. I've been wanting to cover this episode for a while, and truth be told, I'm not certain that I'm entirely qualified to be covering such a topic. See, I want to cover why we like to buy property and why we actually enjoy being landlords. And it's a little bit controversial because I think it largely goes against the current status quo. There was an article published during the week on the Irish Times, which had the headline, Why Landlords Are Selling Up, Taxes, Regulation, and Fear of a Sinn Féin Government. And it was all about the reasons why landlords were currently exiting the Irish market in droves. It cited the following reasons for why landlords were selling up. 48% said they no longer wished to be a landlord. 45% said taxation is too high on rental income. 43% said being a landlord is not profitable. 36% cited the regulatory environment. 26% said I am retiring and my properties are my pension. And 22% said there's too much time in managing properties. So very, very interesting in terms of the reasons. And look, to be honest, there's probably nothing there which surprises me too much. But I think what's curious is that I've been quite pro-property, and I think that I'm starting to feel like maybe I'm in the minority on that. So I guess I was keen to cover an episode about why we're quite bullish when it comes to property, particularly property around the Limerick region where we live. And first off, I wouldn't mind clarifying what I think is a little bit of a misunderstanding when it comes to the difference between cash flow and profit when it comes to rental property. You see, when you look at somebody like Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Robert Kiyosaki, he always sold this dream of cash flowing property. To be able to buy a property, rent it out, and all this cash flow comes in. But in truth, it just doesn't work like that, at least whilst there is a mortgage on the property. So if I'm gonna set expectations, and if you wanna look into this as an investment and thinking about buying property, chances are you're not gonna be producing cash flow from day one. Now, there are various hacks and ways around that, For example, you could rent per room, which might be more profitable, but then would also require a lot more management. So there's pros and cons to every approach. However, by and large, you're going to find that there isn't going to be cash flow, especially when you consider the tax rates that could be paid. But remember, 52% tax is horrible as a headline tax. But the truth is one day when your income isn't there, your tax rate on that property will be 20% or less when it's your sole income. So sometimes you've got to look a little bit for the long run. However, the point I'm trying to make here is that even though property doesn't produce any cash flow per se, at least while there's a mortgage on the property, doesn't mean that it isn't profitable. You see, I think landlords are forgetting that the tenant effectively pays down that mortgage. And as part of that mortgage payment, obviously there's interest and capital that's being paid down. And so if you look at it from an equity point of view, which is again, one of the reasons why on my portfolio review each month, I report on equity, you'll see that the equity on my properties continues to grow. And it's not because I'm adding more cash necessarily to the property. I'm not paying down or making any extra 
mortgage repayments necessarily. It's because the rent is effectively paying off the mortgage, which is effectively growing my equity stake. And it's got to a stage where provided the rent covers the mortgage and let's assume whatever other expenses crop up during the year, then I'm likely to receive say a 5% return just from that rental payment covering that mortgage when you look at it from an equity point of view. And the numbers are actually scarier when you start to account for capital gain as an increase in the property value as time goes on. So if I look at the first property deal that we did back in 2020, right in the heart of COVID, if you guys recall, we ended up moving house and buying a new house for us to live and renting out our old house. I will link back to that episode in the show notes if you are interested in listening to it. It was a hard deal to construct, to be fair, because there weren't many lenders who would actually let us keep our property and buy a new one, but we managed to pull it off. And when you look at the numbers on that deal, we put in effectively about 67,000 euros into that property. Now, as it was, that actually came from an equity release, most of that capital, but still, effectively 67,000 euros was what we had to put into the deal. In the two years since we've done that, we made around 13,000 euros from rental income, which is reasonable enough when you look at it on a 60,000 euro return, roughly 5% a year for, for two years. But more importantly, the value of that property actually increased by 40,000 euro. Now we did have some legal expenses and things like that to account for, but effectively the value increased on what we'd put down by a whopping 33,000 euros. So between that and the rental income, you can suddenly see that the return that we had on a 67,000 euro investment is actually fairly significant. And look, I know it's been a good two years for property, and that's not really an expectation of what might continue to happen. However, even a fraction of that, or any sort of capital appreciation, does make a big difference to the numbers. But even then, without that, it's still a pretty good deal. And look, I'm starting with the numbers because I want to talk about a lot of the other positive stuff for me that I feel when buying property, because the numbers is only one aspect of it. And look, nobody has a crystal ball right? So who's to say that stocks won't outperform property over the next, say, 10 years? We just don't know. But that doesn't mean that I don't want to be diversified in both asset classes. And truthfully, there's lots of other reasons for me buying property, which I'll be covering shortly. However, before I do, even though my numbers that I just gave there were fairly sound in terms of even if I don't get any capital appreciation on that property, the numbers are still good for me. I still get the odd email from people telling me to look out, to sell my properties, that a property crash is coming that I'm best not to buy and buying two houses a year is foolish, that I should keep all my money and wait for the big property crash to come. But here's the thing, I think we're far too generic when we say the property market is crashing or the property market is rising. I remember looking at property way back in 2013 when prices were half, at least half of what they are today. And guess what? There were still good deals and there were still bad deals. In many ways, some of the deals I saw in 2013 were far worse than what I saw and have seen today. As I see it, I'm not worried about what the property market is doing. I don't actually really care if it's going up or down. The only thing I really care about is can I find a property deal that I like, one that works, one that passes the various steps and tests that I go through when I look to buy a property. I did actually cover those steps a few episodes back. So again, I'll link to that in the show notes. So in many ways, the whole process is just a binary decision. Can I find a property that I actually like, that has some sort of X factor, that 
as a property that I would like to live in or like to see my own children live in one day. And then based on that, can I get the financing and will the auctioneer work with me? Will the vendor work with me? Are they happy to go through, in my case, with a commercial mortgage, which does take a little bit longer than a conventional mortgage? Is there any other bidders on the property? Am I able to bid on my terms that I like? All of this stuff has to fit. And so it's not just a matter of going, oh, let's just go and buy the first property that we find. There's a whole series of steps that has to pass. And in the end, you either find the right deal or you don't. And as I see it, that's all there is to it. One of the nice things about property is that it's tangible. Sometimes with buying stocks, you're only looking at a number on a screen. And so it doesn't always feel real. I was really keen to make sure that we had at least three investment properties because I saw it as a hedge. Being from New Zealand, I've seen so many of my friends be locked out of the housing market, far worse than what's happened here in Ireland. Or worse, see friends throw ludicrous money and have huge mortgages for buying houses that frankly just aren't worth that much when you look at it in terms of the percentage of income that they need to put into the property just to maintain the mortgage payment each month. So I liked the idea of having a property for each of my children. Not necessarily property that they would live in, but at least so that if they can't get into the property ladder for whatever reason, perhaps I sell one of those properties and that income from that sale can be used as a deposit for their own house. Or simply, at least if they do decide to rent, they could rent from us rather than needing to rent in the open market. In many ways, I see the Limerick property market as being way undervalued. Just to put some numbers on that, and just to put that in perspective, we're buying property that's actually less than a year's salary for me in terms of gross income. So you guys might recall, being self-employed, I'm effectively able to keep money in the company that I earn. So whilst we do pay ourselves a very little amount from the company to cover our expenses, the rest of the money is kept within the company. And that gross income far outweighs the price of what we're purchasing property for. So when I look at it from that point of view, it's like a property's worth less than a year's wages? Yeah, sure, why not? Compare that to say New Zealand, my income would be significantly less than a very average house in Auckland City for me to purchase. So when I look at it that way, it's kind of a little bit of a no-brainer. And the other big advantage that places like Limerick have, being a smaller city than say Dublin or Cork, and any small town or village for that matter, is that there's so many remote work opportunities that their one big requirement is that you live somewhere in Ireland. And so for me, that opens the whole field up. You no longer have to go to the big cities to get some of these great jobs. You can live anywhere in the island, so you can live somewhere a lot cheaper, and it just changes the whole outlook. Effectively, I'm earning Dublin-sized income living in a city that costs a lot less to live. And for me, that's huge leverage and hugely powerful. You then consider that a lot of these properties have gross yields of 8% plus when you compare the purchase price to what the yearly rental income is. For me, it's just a little bit of a no-brainer from that point of view. But of course, being a landlord is far from passive. I've had water leaks, I've had phone calls before Christmas with heating systems going down, I've had emergency problems where I've had to drop work and drive out to sort something out. Even when I had a property manager, the problems weren't necessarily going away. I found that the property manager was really just acting as a middleman between the tenant and myself, so I still had to deal with stuff. But I've managed to embrace it and get used to it, and truthfully, there's some really good hacks to get around. For example, if something breaks, like an oven or a dishwasher or a washing machine, if you go and buy a new product from Currys, and for me, again, being from New Zealand, I find whiteware in Europe incredibly cheap compared to what we do pay down under. You can just pay a little bit extra 
and the delivery person will actually take the old broken appliance out and install the new one and even take the boxes away. So effectively, if something breaks down, I typically ask the tenant to take a video of whatever's broken. They send it to me on WhatsApp. I jump on Curry's, I order the new product. I make sure they're home for delivery and everything's kind of handled for me all from in front of my computer that takes less than 10 minutes. And sure, while the cost is annoying in terms of having to fund that, that's just part of what happens. And you kind of get used to expecting that. So eh, it's all part of the fun. Of course, there is a lot of fear around the Sinn Féin housing policy. And look, I can't say that I'm not somewhat fearful of that. But at the same time, we can't live our lives on fear. We just don't know what's around the corner. As I said earlier, there is no crystal ball. As people embracing the fire movement, we have to, we have to understand that we're versatile, we're flexible. We'll find a way around it anyway. And some of these things aren't necessarily bad. I come from a very left-wing family anyway, and frankly, I wouldn't have the heart to sell a property if I had a good tenant in place. I have the saying that whilst it's my house, it's their home. And who am I to kick somebody out because I want to make a sale on a property because maybe it's a good time to sell, but knowing that they may not have anywhere else to go. So, no, it's, it's one of these things where I kind of feel like if you've got a good tenant, why would you want to sell the property anyway if it's doing well and everything's, everything's working out? I think it takes two to tango when it comes to property. If you want to have a good tenant, then you need to be a good landlord. And one of the things for me when it comes to property is that I actually like being a good landlord. I actually like helping people. One particular tenant we had, I met before the winter came and asked if there was anything I could do to make it easier for them to get through the winter, knowing that electricity and gas prices had risen. They asked if I might be able to install some thermal curtains for them, which I gladly did. A small cost of a couple of hundred euro for me, but I knew that that was going to make them happy and hopefully make sure that they keep paying the rent on time and look after the property. So it really is a two-way street. We bought two investment properties last year, and the first one I ended up renting out to my brother-in-law. He'd been living at home with my in-laws, and I think it had gotten to a stage where everyone just wanted their space. How good it felt to be able to provide accommodation for my brother-in-law and his wife. They were happy not to have to compete with hundreds of other people to find a home, and I was able to charge reasonable rent. The in-laws finally got their space back and could live their lives without interference. And the brownie points I got as a son-in-law was hard to beat. The thing with property is that it's tangible. No one will ever feel rich having a million euro broker account. But trust me, buy a few properties and you will feel rich in far more ways than just financially. I like looking at property to buy. I like putting the deal together. I like being a good landlord and helping people where I can. And I genuinely think property in the Midwest is undervalued. It is for these reasons I buy property. And while I will continue to do so until either the banks say no or I hit my FI number. Hopefully, I've given you guys a little bit of insight into why I'm so passionate when it comes to buying property. And I hope you can appreciate that my reasons for buying are far more than just financial reasons. As always, if you have any questions on this episode, drop me an email at michael at firepodcast.ie and I look forward to catching you on the next episode.